Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. It was October of 1988. It was cloudy in the 60s, starting to drizzle. And I was getting into the water on a muddy bank of the Susquehanna River. My mom, my dad, my sister, and a few others were there. Why? Because just a week or two before, one night in my bed in college, freshman year, I had decided that I wanted Jesus to forgive all my sins, and I wanted to give my life to him. And so I was in that water that fall day being baptized. Today I'd like to consider together with you what baptism is and why it's important. We'll get to the the text that was read from Romans 6 a little bit later, but first I want to ask, why do people get baptized? Well, the simple answer is because... Jesus told us to. In fact, it's one of the last things that Jesus commanded his followers to do before he returned to the Father in heaven. After Jesus' death and his resurrection three days later, Jesus met his followers on a mountainside in Galilee. And we read in Matthew 28, starting in verse 18, Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Go, Jesus told his followers, make disciples and do what? Teach them and baptize them. That's why I was baptized in that river, that mild fall day. And that's why we still baptize those who want to become followers of Jesus today. So let's dive right in next and tackle the age-old question, who should be baptized? Adults who want to follow Jesus or also infants and small children? Churches have been disagreeing about that for centuries, right? Some argue that infants should be baptized because baptism, they say, is the mark of the new covenant. Just like under the old covenant, Jewish boys were circumcised on the eighth day to mark them out as belonging to the people of God, so under the new covenant that Jesus established, babies should be baptized, marking them as belonging to the New Testament people of God. After all, doesn't Jesus say in Matthew 19, 20, uh, 19, 14, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Also, don't we read in the book of Acts, they say, in many places that, or uh, or several places rather, that when converts were baptized, their whole households were baptized with them. And so in this view, parents and churches who follow Jesus should baptize their babies in faith, giving their children to Jesus, enfolding their kids in into a household of salvation until till such time that those young people, having been nurtured in that household, are old enough to decide for themselves whether they want to continue in the faith. Meanwhile, others argue that baptizing infants has no purpose and that it's a dead tradition. Why? Well, they would argue because baptism is an outward expression of an inner faith in Christ. And infants can't have faith in Christ. They're too young. 
So we should wait until they're old enough to learn about Jesus and make a decision for themselves about whether or not they want to put their faith in Jesus. If we baptize them as infants, this line of argument goes, that baptism means nothing since the one baptized has no faith. And so it may give all concerned a false sense of security. Now, one of the major issues being debated here is whether baptism is merely a symbol, an act of obedience that we do for Christ to declare our faith and allegiance to him, or whether in baptism, God actually does something for us, uniting us with Christ and giving us grace and power to change us. On the one hand, a baby can't declare his allegiance to Jesus or her allegiance to Jesus. But on the other hand, if God offers grace and power to those who are baptized by a believing church and believing parents, wouldn't we want that for our children? So there's disagreement among Christians and denominations. Of course, CBC is the kind of church where we have people from many denominational backgrounds. We've got Presbyterians, we've got Baptists, we've got former Catholics and Pentecostals and everything in between. So how do we handle baptism? Well, interestingly, our statement of faith doesn't mention baptism at all. And I'm not sure if that was intentional, but officially, CBC doesn't take a position on whether or not to baptize infants. In practice, we don't generally baptize infants, but we recognize infant baptism is valid for believers who were baptized as infants and consider that baptism to be valid. So is baptism then just a a symbolic way for us to publicly identify with Christ? Or does something happen in baptism? Does God do something to us and for us when we're baptized? As so often, here's how I'd answer that question. Yes. And here's how I find it helpful to to think about it, to think about baptism. I find it helpful to think of it as like a marriage ceremony. Think, Think with me about this. When two people get married, it's hopefully because they love each other. And because they desire to give themselves to each other, to unite their their two lives into one relationship and one home. So let me ask you, what makes the marriage? The public ceremony they participate in or their personal love and commitment to each other? Well, both, right? The wedding is hollow and empty if the couple doesn't love each other if they don't intend to walk together in relationship and intimacy. But no matter how much two people love each other, common law statutes aside, they're not married yet. They're not officially one couple until they stand up in the ceremony and say, I do, I commit myself to you. So the ceremony isn't just a symbol when when two people love each other. It's not just something that the couple does publicly to proclaim their love. It is that, but it is more. In the ceremony, something is done to the couple, right? (laughs) Things change in them and for them at the wedding. Before they come to the altar and say, I do, they are two individuals who are in love with each other. But after they return from the altar, they are married. They are a couple bound to one another until death do them part. 
A wedding changes things, simple though it may be. And that's, I think, an analogy of what baptism is like. Baptism is an official, public, ceremonial expression of our faith in Jesus and of our intention to follow Jesus. So it's something we do to respond to Jesus, but it's also something God does to us, joyfully receiving us as his own and uniting us with his son, Jesus. Baptism is, in effect, tying the knot with Jesus. Which is why baptism is the means that the Bible gives for us to make a decision to follow Jesus. You know, interestingly, I can't think of anywhere in the New Testament where someone prays a sinner's prayer as a way to tie the knot with Jesus. And I can't think of anywhere where someone responds to an altar call as a way to tie the knot with Jesus. Not that those things are bad things, but every place I can think of in the New Testament where people respond to the gospel and express their desire to repent of their sins and to put their faith in Christ— Baptism is always the way they do it. Maybe I'm forgetting some passages, and I'd love it if you'd uh, help me remember afterwards, point it out to me. But, but here's my point. If you want to put your faith in Jesus and to follow him, it's not primarily praying a prayer or coming forward in a church service, but rather it's baptism, which is the default response in the New Testament. Gordon Smith I think sums all this up well in his book, Beginning Well. He says, is it necessary to be baptized? Well, is it necessary for me to wear my wedding ring? Ask my wife. (laughs) Of course it is. It's not an incidental mark of my identity. If I am married and do not wear my ring, am I still married? Of course I am. There's a couple wives nudging their husbands right now. (laughs) Um. If I am married and I do not wear my ring, am I still married? Of course I am. But that is not the point. Why would I not wear the ring? Medical issues or sizing issues aside. And, and why would a person who has transferred allegiance to Christ not be baptized? All right, so if baptism is important because Jesus commanded it and because it's the way the New Testament gives us to express our faith in Jesus, then what does baptism represent? What does it mean when we get into the water and come back out again or when water is poured on us? Well, let's take a look at our scripture text to answer that question. Romans 6, 1 to 7. Let me read again, particularly verses 3 to 5. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with Christ in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. What baptism does ceremonially is allow us to experience and to place ourselves into the very actions that Jesus Christ took to accomplish our salvation. By going down into the water, we're going down to death. 
to the grave as Christ was crucified, died, and was buried. And by coming up out of the water again, we're being raised to new life as Christ was raised from the grave to eternal life. In baptism, what's true of Christ becomes true of us. We die with Christ. We are raised again with Christ. Christ's death on the cross, which we'll remember and commemorate in less than two weeks on Good Friday, in baptism, that death becomes our death. And Jesus' resurrection, which we'll joyfully celebrate on Easter morning in baptism, that resurrection becomes our resurrection. In baptism, we're identifying with Christ. We are being united with Christ. That's why in the early centuries of the church, when they did baptisms, the one being baptized would actually take off their old clothes when they entered the baptismal waters. This wasn't done in public, don't worry. And after being submerged in the waters of salvation, they would come up and receive a new white garment to signify that their old life had ended. It had died with Christ, and a new life with Christ had now begun. They had died to the old life and were raised to partake and participate in Christ's life. Isn't that amazing? Again, our text says, verse 4, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Let me give you another illustration of this. A time or two over the years, um, we've gone as a family to a water park where there were water slides. Big, fast, long, twisty slides. And sometimes our, our younger kids, they were excited. It looked fun but they were also a little scared and a little intimidated by the size of it all. They, they wanted to do it, but they were a bit afraid. So, so what did they say? They said, Daddy, will you do it with me? Right? Will you go with me? And so what did I do? I got onto the tube or whatever it was first, and then they climbed into my lap, and I put my arms around them, and then off we went together. That's what baptism is like. The prospect, the journey of death, dying to our old self, and of resurrection to new life, being raised up to new life. It's not a trip we can make on our own. So what do we do? We climb into Jesus' lap. He wraps his arms around us, and off we go. We experience his death. His death becomes our death. And we are raised to newness of life. His life, his resurrection becomes our resurrection. To be baptized is to be united with Christ. Verse 5 again. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. What's Jesus's becomes ours. What's ours becomes his. Jesus takes our death and the sins and the failings and the shortcomings which lead to death. And we get Jesus' life. New beginnings, new power, new hope, new victory. All of that that which we'll celebrate at Easter becomes ours when we're baptized. And so listen to the way Eugene Peterson puts 
the, the new life that we enjoy after baptism in his paraphrase of Romans 8 in the message. He says, paraphrasing the Apostle Paul, when God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us, nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you receive from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. This is the newness of life that Paul's talking about back in Romans 6, verse 4. You see, what we have to realize is that the coming of Jesus, first in his life and then in his death and then even more in his resurrection, it opened a portal to the world beyond, to the life of the future, the eternal life, which is coming at the end of time. In baptism, we move with Christ through that portal. Listen to how one of my favorite preachers, Daryl Johnson, puts it, describing where we are in God's plan for world history since the coming of Jesus. He says, Jesus came preaching, the time is fulfilled. Jesus came announcing that it was time for God to move in a new and unprecedented way. History had reached a crisis point. In Jesus, that unique, decisive moment for the fulfillment of God's great promise had begun. Dutch scholar Herman Ritterboss said it so well. Jesus came announcing that the threshold of the great future had been reached. The concluding drama can start. And what is the concluding drama? Jesus came preaching that the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God has come near. It is time for heaven to invade the earth. It is time for the future, God's great future, to spill into the present. In and because of Jesus, the glorious rule of God, which was thought to come only at the end of history, is breaking in to the middle of history now. And in baptism, by faith in Jesus, we move with Jesus into that glorious future life, which, ahead of expectation, through Jesus, has broken into history. So we die to our past life, to the old age that we lived in, and that people who don't know Jesus are still living in, and that this world is still experiencing the travail of. We die to that old age, and we are raised anew, by the resurrection of Jesus to the life of the age to come. 
we get into Jesus' lap, so to speak. He wraps his arms around us as we enter the water and we go through the portal, dying with him to our old life in the old age and being raised anew with him to a new life in the age to come. Amazing. With that in mind, let me read from Romans 8 again. This this text mentions uh, God's spirit as well, by the way, uh, which is the way that God brings all of this into our experience. God's breath, Eugene Peterson translated it as. Listen to this again and let it soak into our hearts. When God lives and breathes in you, and he does as surely as he did in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life. With his spirit living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ's. So don't you see that we don't owe this old do-it-yourself life one red cent? There's nothing in it for us. Nothing at all. The best thing to do is give it a decent burial and get on with your new life. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. It's adventurously expectant, greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? God's spirit touches our spirit and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we are going to get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. This is what Jesus has done for us. This is what we receive and we enter into when we're baptized. And the Holy Spirit makes it a reality in our life and in our experience. Now, what if you've been baptized and this hasn't been your experience? You didn't feel anything. You didn't feel like anything about your former self died. And you don't feel anything new. Well, let me respond with a, with a story that I've shared before, which I think is really helpful here. A woman once had a dream in which she wandered into a shop at the mall and she found Jesus behind the counter. Yeah. And, and Jesus said to her, you can have anything your heart desires. And she was astounded, but she was pleased. And so in her dream, she asked for peace and for love and for happiness and for wisdom and for freedom from fear. Sounds like the age to come, right? And then she added, not just for me, but for the whole world, Lord. And Jesus smiled and said, I think you misunderstand me. We don't sell fruits, only seeds. Baptism isn't the finished product it's only the seed the beginning of a new journey by faith to unpack to explore to grow into the reality of this it takes a whole lifetime to grow the fruit to unwrap the present to take the trip so if you've been baptized the more important question is are you still cultivating by faith what's been planted? Are you still unwrapping the present? Are you still taking the trip? I can tell you over uh, 30 years now since my baptism, 
I'm still growing and still experiencing and still discovering more of the life of Christ, more of the death of my old self, more of the age of the future, little by little breaking into my life and my experience. Even this past week, as I was meditating on those words from Eugene Peterson in Romans 8, um, I've been tasting more of it, more than I tasted before. And there's still so much more that I haven't experienced yet, that, that's still waiting for me. I'm still on the water slide. So if you've been baptized, are you still on the journey of faith in Jesus? Are you still dying to yourself and by faith seeking to live with Christ into more of the life to come? And if you haven't been baptized, this is what's available to you. Christ is inviting you into his salvation. Jesus is inviting you to die to your old life, to have your sins, your offenses, your shortcomings, your regrets washed away in the waters of baptism, and to come out and enter a new life, a transformed life, a life of joy and healing and hope and victory as you walk in relationship with Jesus step by step. Every June, our church has a picnic, and one of the great things about the picnic is that we do baptisms. And so if you've never been baptized, and you'd like to be, or you'd like to consider it, I'd love to talk to you about it and to spend some time with you between now and then getting ready for that day. All right, I'd like us, as we finish now, to think about how we might respond to this. As a church, we want to continue to grow in listening to God's word and hearing what God is saying to us and then discerning how we can put that into practice. So two of the most important questions we can ask every day and just as much so when we hear a sermon is, what is God saying to me this morning and what do I need to do about it? So I'd like to give you a minute to think about that. What is God saying to you personally this morning? So I'll give you a minute to think about that.